Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. How many of you would know that you can have it together on the outside, but not on the inside? Yeah? There's a lot of heads nodding, but there's less mmms, you know? You can have it together on the outside, but not on the inside. You know people, I like that. You know people that have it together on the outside, but not on the inside, I call them ducks. You know, like, have you ever gone to a pond or a lake and you've seen the ducks? And ducks, they're so smooth, you know? They just kind of cruise around and it almost looks like it's effortless, like they're not even trying and they just move around on the top of the water and it looks easy. But if you were just to go beneath the surface and have a look, you would find that their feet are going 100 miles an hour. And and even though they're working so hard on the surface, they look like it's all easy and it's all smooth. And I've I've met so many people that are ducks. I'll tell you the truth right now. There have been so many times in my life where I was a duck and, and on the outside, I looked like I had it together, but on the inside, I just didn't. And so, you know, for me, growing up as a, as a young person, I'll tell you the truth, I used to go to church uh, every single week with my family, and I had a relationship with God. And I don't mean to say that I just went to church. Like, I mean, I really had a relationship with God. He would speak, and I would hear Him. In fact, at my own baptism, uh, when they were baptizing me, the pastor of the church, he asked me uh, just if, if I believed that Jesus Christ had died on the cross. I thought He was handing me the mic. And so I preached an impromptu five-minute sermon about baptism and my faith in God. And uh, I, I wasn't ready for it. The pastor wasn't ready for it. But that was where I was at. And I just believed it, you know. And then later on in life, I had a few challenges, you know. Around, that, around about that 11, 12 years old period of time in my life, I had these challenges. And I faced these circumstances that, to be honest, I really wasn't quite ready for. And as I went through some of those experiences... I tried to understand how the God that I had been worshipping my whole life could allow me to go through such a difficult season. And growing up and going to church, I mean, people like my parents and, uh, you know, Bible school teachers, you know, like I went to uh, Sunday school is what they called it. And I went to that and, and people would tell me what God is like and He's so good and he's, he's loving. And so here I am and I'm 12 and I'm, you know, 13 years old and I'm trying to figure out if the God that is all loving and all knowing, you know, He's omnipotent, He's omnipresent, He's everywhere all at once. You know, I'm trying to figure out if this God that I've always been brought up with as, as knowing Him this way, if that really lives up if He really lives up to the picture that had been painted for me my whole life. And the truth is, I couldn't reconcile it. I just couldn't imagine how the God that would love me, that was able to be in charge of everything, would allow me to go through difficult circumstances. And so sadly to say, I actually walked completely away from my relationship with God for my entire teenage experience. You know, I just walked away from my relationship with God. And the worst thing about it is, in the middle of that time when I was far from God, there was never a point in my journey or my life where I ever thought that God wasn't real. I believed God was real the whole time. I just didn't know if he was a better alternative than the life I was living because I couldn't figure out who he was. 
and I couldn't figure out who he was because I had unresolved questions. Questions in my heart about was he really that good and was he everything that the Bible made him out to be and the pastors told me he was and my parents told me he was and church leaders told me where he was. Was he really everything that they said that he was? Now, if you think that what I'm talking about today is a unique experience, I promise you it is not. I think that over time in history, millions of people have walked away from a relationship with God because they couldn't make sense of their circumstances. And they couldn't understand how this all-knowing, all-powerful and loving God would allow them to go through such a difficult time. There's questions that we have in my heart, in in your hearts, and I've got them in my heart. And, And we say to God, well, if you were that good, then why did you allow Now just go ahead and fill in that space with any irreconcilable issue that you've got with God. And they're different for different people. And so many people have these experiences. Like, let me give you an example. God, people told me that you were good and you were loving and you were gracious. So why did you let my grandparent die? God, people told me that you were good and loving and gracious. So why am I struggling in my relationship right now? Why, why is my marriage difficult now? Why, why am I, if you're a parent, you've got kids that are older. Here's a really good one. God, you, you told me that you were good, but why are my kids so far from you right now? And why haven't you answered my prayer? And haven't you heard me? And, and, and so everyone has these questions in their hearts. And I'll tell you something right now. If you don't deal with the question, it starts to erode your faith. It starts to eat away at you. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to read to you what I think is probably the most powerful character-defining Scripture that I, I probably know of in the Bible. And maybe you came here tonight and, and you don't know who God is and you've got questions. And I'll tell you something right now, I can't answer all of your questions. But I can promise you this, that by the end of tonight you'll know exactly who this God really is. And so I want to read a scripture to you and it comes to us out of Genesis chapter 15 in verse 1, goes all the way through to verse 21. So some of you might be feeling bad that you missed your Bible reading this week. No problem, I'm going to make up for a whole week right now. I got 21 verses to read to you tonight and, and don't feel guilty, like you're going to get it all. We're just going to batch it today, okay? And so this begins in verse 1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. I think it's interesting that it says right there at that moment that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Because even though in this moment he says he believes, he still has questions. And it says in verse 7, 
And he said to him, being God, he said, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he, being God, said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid them over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and from the land of the uh, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadmonites and the Hittites and and the Perizzites, so many ites, oh my gosh, and the Rephaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites. How unfortunate. It's like when people say, where are you from? From Gergeshite. <laughs> from Gergeshite and the Jebusites. Man, Abram, he had it all together on the outside, didn't he? He had it all together on the outside. If you look at Abram as a, as a man, he was incredibly successful, like wildly successful. Everything that he put his hand to, God blessed him and he blessed him abundantly. He was a man of renown, like people knew who he was. Kings in the land, they respected him. He was impressive by every stretch of the imagination. He was powerful. I mean, he had servants and he had land and he had animals and and, and he was rich too, so wealthy. And many people wouldn't know this, but he drove an Aston Martin. And and, and it's in the original language. You wouldn't know that, but if you do the study, you'll find it. And so that, because, you know, wealthy people can do this stuff. And so here he is and he's wealthy and and people are looking at him. I mean, I think he lived a kind of life where people would have, they would have just said, oh, that's Abram. There he goes, you know, because he's rich and he's powerful. And in the middle of all of that, on top of that, if he doesn't have it all, just this incredible human being, he loves God. Is there anything that this guy doesn't do well? And he loves God and he's full of faith. In fact, Abram has a history of faith. And if you look back over his life, you will see time and time again that when God would ask him to do things, he just faithfully obeyed. In fact, if you go back to where really things started for Abram, God comes to him when he's in the land of Ur and he's living there with his family. And at this point in his life, he already is rich and he already is wealthy. And and God comes to him and he says to him, I want you to leave and go to the land that I will show you. Now, you might have just missed how much faith was involved in that statement, but let's just rehash exactly what God said to him. Abram, you're doing really well right now and I know life is good and everything is successful. What I want you to do is pick up your life and leave all of that success and go to the land that I will show you. And then you would expect that Abram would say, but God, 
I don't know where to go. Why didn't you tell me the destination? And when I know where I'm going, that's when I can start. Just want to make sure I'm headed in the right spot. But, but God doesn't do that. God says, no, 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 Abram, just start the journey and I'll tell you as I go. But God, how will I know I'm going the right way? Trust me, Abram, just get all of your servants and pick up everything and travel and you'll find the way as you go. Man, we are just like this. Like for so many people, we want to know the destination before we're willing to step out in faith. You know, like, God, I want to know where you're taking me and what you're doing with me. And when I know how it's all going to end up, then I'll have the faith to step out and do what you've called me to do. Abram doesn't do this though. So he picks up and he, and he leaves that land and he takes his nephew Lot with him. And when they get there to this land that they're going to, they start to settle. And of course, God just continues to bless him and he's flourishing and things are thriving and, and they're trying to do life together, except all the people from Lot's camp, that was actually his name if you're new to church. His name was Lot. And, 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 and so Lot's camp and Abram's camp, uh, some of the servants, they begin to fight. You know, it's kind of like when kids start to grow up and they need their own bedrooms. And so he, he, he says, all right, we're going to need to split you guys up. There's going to be a disaster if we don't do this. And so he says, tell you what, Lot, you choose any land that you want. And, and, and that alone is just remarkable because Abram would be in his rights to choose the land that he wants. He should get the choicest land and Lot can have what's ever left over. But he says to Lot, hey, you have whatever you want. And so Lot chooses his land and Abram just takes the other piece. You know why I love that so much? Because I really think that Abram had the kind of faith where he said, it really doesn't matter where you send me. God can bless me wherever I am. You think you got the choice land, but God can bless me here. And so he just goes wherever God sends him. Sure enough, God starts to bless him, but something terrible happens to Lot. Lot gets kidnapped and his servants and, and, and his family, they get kidnapped. Well, Abram hears about this. And, and, and so he rallies his troops and his whole camp and they go after these kings and they defeat these kings and he brings Lot back and settles him again. I mean, this guy is remarkable. I mean, even like in terms of a tactician and a military leader, he's rich, he's powerful, he loves God. And you look at him and you say, this guy is the package. He's just got it all together. But Abram has a significant challenge, like a really big challenge in his life. He's childless and he's afraid. And he's afraid that what he is building, this, for lack of a better description, empire, this, this land, this territory, his wealth, he's afraid that he's building it all to go to someone that's not a blood relative. All he wants is to have a child. And it's a problem that he can't seem to solve on his own. And so God comes to him and he says, Abram, I'm your shield. And Abram's like, yeah, I know. I know you're my shield. He said, Abram, look back over your life. Think about all the times when I protected you. You know, you didn't get hit by accident. You know, you weren't just lucky. Like, I'm your shield. God, I get it. I know you're my shield. And then he says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. Now, at this moment, Abram's already blessed. He's already rich. He's already powerful. So when he says that he's going to bless him, he's really talking about that missing part of his life, that child that he wants. And he says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. Can I, can I just talk to you for a minute about blessing? Man, it's so good that God wants to bless people. It's so good that He wants to pour out good things into the lives of other people. But can I tell you something about blessing? 
God is not responsible to bless all of your decisions. Wow, you were not excited about that. (laughs) He is not responsible to bless just any choice that you make. In fact, if, if, you wanna, if you wanna find yourself in a position where you can be blessed by God, you'll often find His blessings are within the boundaries that He sets for, his life, for your life. See, God gives us certain rules and, and guidelines and ways that we can live our life. And the problem that I see too often is people walk way beyond the boundary, way too far away from what God has asked them to do. And they say, God, why aren't you blessing me here? I don't think that God wants to bless anybody that moves that far out of their boundaries. He doesn't want to bless their choices and their decisions. They may take it as affirmation that God is happy with the direction of their life. No, I think really what God wants people to do is He wants them to stop going the way that they're going because they're not necessarily getting what they want. And what they would do is that they would turn to God and they'd say, okay, I'm, I'm going to come back into the boundaries that you've set for my life. That little thing that I just did then when I stopped and I turned around, we have a word for that in, in church. We call that repentance. And repentance simply means this. I was going one direction and God spoke to me and I realized I was headed the wrong way and I turned and now I'm walking after God. Now, if you go after God and you stay within the boundaries He sets for you, that is the best place for you to get blessed. And so He says, I, I know you're my shield and I know you keep saying that you're going to bless me, but Abram says, God, when is it going to happen? When are you going to bless me? Man, if we're not asking God why, we're asking God when. You know, like we say, God, why did this happen? Why did you allow this? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why did my circumstances work out that way? Why? why? And then, and then he says, I'm going to bless you. God, when is it going to happen? When are you going to bless me? You know, and he asked God when. And when I started to read some of these scriptures, you know, one of the things that I love so much about this is that God is able to be approached and he, you can have a real conversation with him. Like Abram comes and he says, I, I, I just want to know when it's going to happen, God. It's kind of funny, like I often find that people that don't go to church very often, when they come, it's like they have a, a whole personality transformation. If you don't go to church very often and maybe, you know, maybe this is your experience tonight, I don't know, but it's, it's suddenly when people go to church for the first time, they think, boy, I better dress up because that's what you do. And their language changes. They change the way that they speak. They change the way that they dress. Can I tell you something about God? He knows everything about you and you don't need to impress Him with your eloquent words. You can go to God and have a real conversation, you know. Did you know that you could take your frustrations to God? Just because it happened doesn't mean you have to accept it and and suck it up and just deal with it and never go to God. You know what I think God is really looking for? I think God wants people that are so genuine in their relationship with Him that there'll be points where they go to Him and they say, I'm not actually happy about this, God, and I'd like it to change. God wants a real relationship with you. So please don't shy away from that, okay? So here He is. And He's had this, this opportunity to get blessed. And he says, God, when? When's this going to happen? He's kind of bringing it up with God. When's this going to happen? Can I tell you, you don't need to remind God of the promises that he makes to you. God doesn't say stuff and then just forget that he said it. If you're not walking in what God said you could have, it's often, it's, it's a timing thing. Or maybe it's a boundary thing and you're just not ready for it yet. And because you're not ready, he doesn't want to give it to you right now. 
So maybe you got to get ready. Maybe the time's not ready. But one thing you'll never have to do is remind God of the promises that He made to you. See, sometimes, you know, what's kind of sad is when I see people who turn what they really want into God's promise. And because they really want it, they tell God that it's a promise that He made. God is never responsible to bless that. It's always hard when people do that too, because you really want to tell them the truth. I don't think God would have said that to you. That doesn't sound like something He'd bless. No, He told me. It's like, well, I don't know what you want from me. You know, I, I would love to just tell you the truth. Let me tell you something. If it's a promise that God made, if He said it, it'll come to pass. It'll happen. So Abram says, God, but when? When's it going to happen? When will you bless me? He's kind of struggling right now because this thing that he's facing, it's, it's, it's Goliath. This is, you, know, you know what a Goliath is, right? Like a Goliath is the biggest, like hairiest, ugliest problem that you have in front of you that's preventing you from being where you want to be. And everyone has a Goliath. If you're here tonight, and you have not faced some Goliath-sized challenge, you're still in single digits, you're nine years old, and God bless you for staying up late tonight. <laughs> you're in church though, God, God's happy with you, you know. But it's, it's, it's a Goliath, it's a, it's a huge problem that stands in your way. And when you get a, when you get a problem like this, you get a, a, a mountain-sized problem in your life, you, you need God to solve it. So you notice that for, for Abram, he's rich, he's wealthy, you know, he's successful. And for all of his wealth and all of his success, he can't solve this problem. See, what happens is when people start to get wealthy, and, and I think maybe just because you live in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, maybe this applies to you, I, I don't know. But when you get wealthy, what you can do is insulate you yourself against a lot of problems. But eventually you'll face Goliath. And there'll be a problem that no amount of money can solve. For Abram, it's the fact that he, uh, he doesn't have a child. For some people, it might be that there's a medical diagnosis. And even in this age, we don't have the technological and medical advances that would see someone cured of that problem that they're facing. See what I'm saying? It's like eventually you'll face something and nothing else can help you. What you need is a miracle. What you need is an act of God. You need Him to step into this circumstance. That's where Abram is right now. Because if God doesn't show up, he knows he's not going to get what he wants. You need God for some things in life. You know, it reminds me of when Jesus said in the New Testament, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, if you're just severed from your relationship with God, there'll be things that you come up against in life and you will not be able to move that on your own. You actually need God to do something about it. And so in verse three, he says to God, hey, God, someone else's child is going to be my heir. You know what that is? That's doubt. That's what that is. That's doubt. Abram's so afraid. Can I tell you that fear is fertile ground for doubt? You know, when you've got Goliath standing in front of you and you've pictured the very end of how things might end up, you're afraid, no matter what it is. 
a relationship, a marriage, a medical diagnosis, whatever it is, you've, you've seen the end of that thing and you've imagined it many times and you've, you've thought about it. And it kind of scares you. And when you're afraid, that is fertile ground for doubt. I'll tell you something, the enemy of your soul, he would love to just come and sow seeds of doubt into your life at a moment when you're afraid. And if those things begin to grow in your life, they start to redirect your path and steer you away from a relationship with God. You're full of doubt and you're full of fear. And I'll tell you, being full of doubt is a major problem. Now, if you're here tonight and you're taking notes, this next thing that I'm about to say, this part is really important. Desire doesn't move God. Faith does. That's why having so much doubt in your life is a major problem. Because desire doesn't move God. Faith does. Come on, look around the world. There are, there are people everywhere. So many people, even in this room tonight. And you have a desire in your heart. You might not want to be where you are. And, and for all of the desire, God, I don't want this marriage to be this way. God, I don't want my child to suffer like this. God, I, I don't want this relationship to be burnt. God, I don't want this financial problem. For all of desire, Lord, give me a job. Lord, help me in this area of my life. For all the desire that's in your heart, it's not the desire that moves God. It's the faith that moves Him. Hebrews 11 says this, if you want to draw near to God, you must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The reward comes by believing that He's there. You've got to believe that He exists before you can approach Him. What is that? That's faith. See, faith is the small thing that shifts everything. And when I say small thing, I, I really mean it. Because Jesus said, if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and then it'll be gone. I mean, a mustard seed's not very big. He says, if you've got small faith, it yields big results. There are people all over this world that have desires, but maybe lack the faith to move God. And so here's Abram. And God comes to him and he says to Abram, look back over your life, Abram. Come on, let's just do history check on you right now. You were blessed in the land of Ur because I blessed you. And then I told you to go to the land that I will show you and, and you just followed me. Remember I took you there? And then once you got there, who blessed you? You did God. And who protected you in all of that? You did God, you know. And, and, and I was your shield. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember all of that. You see me bring you this far and now you think that I can't solve this problem? Like this one's too big for me. It might, it might seem like a Goliath of a problem to you, Abram, but I, I assure you this, I can solve this challenge for you. I can fix this problem that you have. And then Abram says something and he, he says, Oh Lord, how will I know? How will I know that everything that you say will happen? And right then in that moment, the scene is set. For what I think is one of the most significant scriptures in the entire Bible that shows you who God really is. The scene is set. He comes to him and he says in verse 9, God says to Abram, lay out the pieces. Lay out the pieces. What is he talking about? If God came to you, Russell, and he said, Russ, lay out the pieces. You'd be like, what? 
I heard you say lay out the pieces. I just don't know what that means. But apparently in this time, they knew because Abram doesn't say, what does that mean? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what that's about. And so he says, I want you to lay out the pieces. What he was asking for is asking Abram to get ready to enter into a covenant agreement. I was watching a movie with my wife just a couple of nights ago. It was this movie uh, about this. It's called The King and it's set in England like many, like hundreds of years ago. And I'm watching movies like that. And honestly, I, I see the way that they did life back then. And I'm like, I am so glad I'm born in this time. I am so glad that that is not my life. I like coffee. I like donuts. Okay. I like cars. I don't mind horses, but I don't want to take one to work every day. I like air conditioning in my car. I was born at the right time. You know, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Life now is different. It was, it, it, is, it was so different to how things were back then. You know, when we want to make agreements today, what do we do? I, I did a wedding on Friday night. And when this couple wanted to get married, you know how they entered into agreement? They, they, they got a pen out and they had a piece of paper and they signed it and they said, hey, we're getting married. And they signed their names to it. And, you know, before the state government of Victoria, they were married. They entered into a covenant with God and before the state, it happened. And everyone knows that it happened. Where do we find the record of that? Well, they just, they signed on the dotted line and we can go back and find it. Years ago, my wife and I, we went for a loan uh, with the bank to build a house. And man, that was just a challenge because I hadn't been a pastor long and they were trying to figure out how my job works. And, and, and so we hit some challenges along the way. And one time as we're in this process of negotiation, they give us this contract and I read it and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I signed it straight away. They signed it, right? Later on, they figured out that, that the deal that they signed was not as good for them as it was for me. And so they came back and they said, well, we want to change this. And I'm like, uh-uh-uh, can't change it. How, why, can't, why can't they change it? You know why they can't change it? Because they signed it. That's how we do agreements today, but that's not how they did agreements back in the Bible. Different time, completely different experience. Let me tell you what a covenant is. In a covenant agreement, uh, and I I want to explain it because I know it's not a word that we use very often, but in a covenant agreement, there's always a superior and an inferior. The superior in a covenant agreement sets the terms and the conditions of an agreement, and the inferior person in that agreement can agree or disagree But the one thing that they're not allowed to do is to change that agreement. And so kings used to do this. If one king defeated another king, then they would enter into a covenant agreement. And this is how they do it. It was very dramatic. They would get um, uh, animals like what we read there and and a heifer and a ram and a goat and they, they would cut them and they would actually cut them right down the center, not in half this way, but straight down the center. And then they would take a piece and they would lay one piece on this side and they would lay one piece on this side. And can you imagine just creating an aisle of like dead bodies and, and, and they would stand at the end of that aisle. And then they would, you know, hear the terms and the conditions of the, of the covenant agreement and then they begin to walk through it. And, and what they were really doing in that moment is that they were enacting the curse. In other words, as they were walking through, they looked at these pieces and the curse of breaking a covenant was, should I not hold up my end of the bargain? What has happened to these animals, may that happen to me. So as you're walking down, like you know how serious it is as you look at these pieces, you're thinking, I'm not gonna mess this up. I'm gonna end up like that ram. 
You know, and so they get to the end and then they make their agreements. Now, Abram, Abram knows what a covenant agreement is. And so he, start, he gets there and he starts to lay out all the pieces. And God comes to him in verse 13 and he says to him, uh, Abram, just want you to note that you are absolutely going to have offspring. So I know that you're worried about that. I know there's a lot of fear in your life about that, but I want you to know that's absolutely going to happen. And then he says beyond that, he says, but your offspring, they'll be sojourners, they'll be servants, they'll be afflicted 400 years, and, and then they'll get the land. You remember how descriptive that land was, told them exactly where that land was. And he says, you're, the generations that come from you, they're going to walk into this land, this promised land. This is where the promise was made. It was at this exact moment. And so Abram is there. The pieces are all laid out. And I think at this exact moment, Abram was getting prepared to walk through the pieces. You know why? Because he's the inferior in this covenant agreement with God. And so he knows that it's his job to begin to walk through the pieces. And something happens in verse 17. It says, A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appear. And they begin to pass through the pieces. Now those words that we read in the original language, they're actually kind of hard to translate into English. That's why you read it and you're like, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. You're trying to picture it, but it's hard. It's giving you figurative language, but, but these words were used in the Bible before. In fact, in the Old Testament, where God would descend upon Mount Sinai, they used these exact words. When God became a pillar of fire to protect the Israelites from the Egyptians, they used these exact words. And so if you understand and have clued on to what's happening, this flaming torch, you know, this, this smoking fire pot, this is the presence of God. And God shows up and He starts at the beginning of this, this aisle, and He starts to pass through the pieces. And you won't read this in the Scriptures, but we know exactly what Abram would have thought at this exact moment. Abram would have looked at that and he would have seen God begin to pass through the pieces. And in his heart and his mind, I'm sure he was thinking, God, stop. You can't do this. You, that can't be you. That's, that's not your job. You don't, you, don't, you don't pass through the pieces. That's me. That's what I do. I'm the inferior in this. I, I'm the one that passes through the pieces. God, what are you doing? God, I realize that you're really smart and I, and I get it, but God, don't you understand what will happen if you pass through the pieces? You enter into a covenant agreement with me and you're the one that passes through the pieces. God, I, Lord, I, I know, in all honesty, I know, God, that you would be willing to keep your end of the bargain. I, I know that you can keep your uh, part of this agreement in the covenant, but God, I'm not worried about you, I'm worried about me. Because God, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a human being and I, I, I fail consistently and I've made so many mistakes in life. And yeah, I, I've made some good faithful choices, but God, don't you understand what happens here? If you pass through the pieces and I fail, you pay the price. If you pass through the pieces and I mess this up, then the curse is on you, not me. God, don't you understand what this means? God, if this happens, if I mess up, if I break this covenant, you understand, God, that you cannot be killed as you if you remain as God. God, that would mean 
that you would have to give up your immortality and you would need to become flesh and blood in order to be ripped apart. You would have to give up your God-like state in order to be killed. You can't be killed as God. You'd have to become like me. God, why would you put yourself in a position where you could be ripped apart when you know that I'm gonna make a mistake, when you know I constantly screw up, when you know that I'm gonna make the, that I'm not gonna be able to keep my end of the covenant. God, why would you do this? And I think God would have just looked back at that moment and said, Abram, I never expected you to be perfect. I, I always knew that you would never be able to hold up your end of the bargain. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this covenant and I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to pass through the pieces because the only one that pays the penalty for your mistakes will be me. And thousands of years later, this exact thing is lived out when Jesus Christ came. Do you know what the Scriptures say? It says that the Word being God, being Jesus, the pre-existent God. I don't know if you know that, but Jesus lived in heaven before He came to earth. It says that the pre-existent God, that the Word became flesh and it dwelt amongst us. See, God became human. And He became human for a purpose. And God was ratifying a new covenant agreement, a new agreement that would be in place. And He said, humanity, you lack somebody to represent you well. So how about this? I'll do both sides. As God, I'll set the terms and the conditions and I'll send my only son and he will live a perfect life and he'll represent you because you are incapable of representing yourselves. You keep making mistakes. So here's what I'll do. I'll send Jesus and he'll become the curse for you because the Bible says that cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Bible says the penalty for sin is death, but it wasn't a, a penalty that God wanted us to pay. That's why He sent Jesus. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth and He, he lived a perfect life. And then He paid the penalty for our sins. And again, for the second time, God looked at people and He said, Hey, I knew you were never going to be perfect. I knew, I knew that you were never going to be able to hold up completely your end of the bargain. That's why I'm going to do the whole thing for you. And all you have to do is watch me as I bless you. And so Christ came and there He was hung on the cross. And there's a scripture, this moment, where Jesus cries out and He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It says at that exact moment, the sin and the weight of the world was poured onto Jesus. And God turned His back because God is, He is holy and He is righteous. And He, he had to be separate at that exact moment from His Son. And for the first time in eternity, the Trinity was ripped apart at that exact moment. Everything that He said to Abram, He was ripped apart at that moment. And why? Why would God do that? He was immortal. He was safe. He was secure. Why would He leave His immortality and come from heaven to earth only to die? And the answer is so simple. 
He did it because he loves people. And he did it because he loves you. Those moments in my life where I was far from God, I'll tell you the truth. I felt like I had nothing to offer. I said to to God that day that I recommitted my life to Jesus, I said, God, I don't know why you do a thing for me. There's nothing worth anything about me. I'll tell you the truth. I just felt worthless. You know, the thing about worth is that something's only worth whatever another person is willing to pay for it. Maybe some of you are in that exact moment right now. You know your life is not right with God. You know you're not perfect. You're you're already there. You've figured that part out. And maybe there's this sense of self-worth. You think, I don't know why God would do a thing for me or even with me. But it's not about you. It's all about Him. How much are you worth tonight? You are worth enough that Jesus gave His own life so that you could be with Him in eternity. That's how much you're worth tonight. And it's not about how good you are or how amazing you are or the facade that you put up or as impressive as you try to be. It's not about looking great on the surface, but struggling underneath, pretending to be something that you're not. The reason you're worth anything is because at the center of it all, God loves you. Because, it's kind of obvious by now, but God is love. And not to say that He loves, because I feel like if I said to you that God loves, that would be too far from what He is, because He literally is love. And the God that owed nothing gave everything. And why would He do that? Man, just because He loves you. So I tell you this, God, He's not careless. I mean, I call this message reckless, right? God is, he's, he's not careless. He is only reckless in the sense that He abandoned self-preservation and put Himself in harm's way, knowing that He would be killed and only because He loves you. Only so he could know you. Close your eyes for one. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.